Welcome back to Never Alone. We're your host, Morgan and Madison. And in today's episode, we are talking about five things we wish we knew before going to a fertility clinic. Going to a fertility clinic can be very nerve-wracking and daunting, and there are many things that you'll experience, but these are just five things that were a little unexpected for us, Mm -hmm. and so we're going to discuss those today. Yes. I think one of the reasons why we started this podcast was just to shed light and kind of be that friend who's a few steps ahead um, to share you know, some of the things that surprise us about the process. Um, there's definitely more than five things that are surprising, but these are kind of our top five, if you will. And this one might not sound that shocking, but our first one is that the process can be very long. Um, a lot longer, I think, than I think we all know it's going to be long. Yeah. We've already been trying for a year or more, maybe. So that compounding effect. And then it's just so much longer for most people yeah. than you think it will be, um, which I know is not the most encouraging <laughs> bit of news, but it's true. And I think no, if I had known that, knowing, you know, this isn't probably going to be just a couple months, that might have helped my perspective that this is a marathon and not a sprint. Yeah. How long did you think it was going to take when you guys first started Madison? So that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I probably thought that it would take a year max. And I thought we would kind of do some treatment, kind of like a one and done for everything. And that was certainly not the case. Mm -hmm. So I was very shocked as well. And then I would say really the part that was shocking for me was the beginning process, how long that was. Because Mm -hmm. there are just so many tests. There's so many papers that you have to fill out. There's just Mm -hmm. so many scheduling dates. There's so many, there's so many things that you don't realize that you have to get done before you can actually start treatment, Mm -hmm. which is kind of discouraging too. Yeah. And I didn't know that. Yeah. And I think one thing to even touch on because, you know, this episode is really geared towards people who have, haven't been to a fertility clinic or are just starting out. Um, or even if you're in the thick of your journey, just to kind of find camaraderie. But one of the things that you just said reminded me that even just getting an appointment can be really long. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, do you remember how long it took you guys to get in? So ours was actually quicker than we expected. We originally were told three months. Yes. Um, which I think is the average. Mm-hmm. And we got in quickly because they had a cancellation. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with most people yes. is if there's a cancellation, you get in. Otherwise, yep. it's a three-month wait. Yeah. And then on top of that, you have to decide, are you going to see, quote unquote, the top doctor mm-hmm. in your clinic? Or are you going to settle for somebody that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about? Yeah. And that's another decision you have to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We were very thankful we got in quickly, but that's not everybody's story. Yeah. It actually is our story too. Okay. Um, that we got a cancellation. I had done all this research. I had the doctor in mind that I wanted to see. Um, and then they were like, actually, you know, we had this cancellation. And I was so desperate. I was like, I'll see anyone. Yeah. Um, that's fine. And it ended up being a, a, a huge gift because I love our doctor. Um, and I think, you know, every practice is different, but our doctors all all work together. They all Mm -hmm. talk to each other. I think that's kind of common. So, um, you know, I think it is important that you jive with your doctor, but I felt like it was more important to be seen. Um, and I think you're right. I think three months is kind of still what they're saying. 
um, even being an established patient, it was it kind of re you know, restarting the process, we yes. had to wait kind of a while to even just talk to someone that we already had a relationship with. So yeah. that part's long. I think the fact that there is so much testing, there's so much trial and error. Yes. So our next topic would be the trial and error process. And we say trial and error because it really is a trial and error. Your doctors will prescribe you a protocol um, and it's based on your situation, your specific case, if you will. But at the same time, they kind of all start at a generic baseline. And so they will give you a protocol and you try it out. And if it doesn't work, they will give you another protocol. And if this medicine did not respond well, they will put you on a different medication. And it's just literally they are trying meds out. They're trying different treatments out. They're trying different protocols out. And it's frustrating because mm -hmm. after a while, you kind of feel like you're just being tossed around and you're kind of wondering, mm -hmm. well, do they even know why we're here to begin with? Because I feel like I'm just being put on medication after medication. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was the thing that was honestly most shocking to me was the trial and error. I I, I really just thought like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then we're going to have a child. And it just so is not that. And um, like Madison said, it is definitely based on your protocol. Your protocol is based on your story. So, you know, PCOS, they're obviously not going to have you on the highest dose of medication, um, out of, you know, caution to not get your body overstimulated. Um, or, you know, for me, like I'm classified as a poor responder. So they do have me on like higher levels of, of medicines, but I wouldn't have known that about myself until I had gone through my first round of meds. Was yeah. your protocol different for each cycle? Yes. So this, we're actually getting ready to do our third um, round of retrieval meds. So third protocol, if you will, and they've all been different. Um, and just kind of based on the more they learn, the more they get to know your body. Um, and that was just something that was so shocking to me. I mean, it makes total sense yeah. that they wouldn't know, you know, how you respond because everyone is so unique. But there is kind of the generic, you know, cocktail, if you will, that they start a lot of people out on. Um, and I remember you and I had kind of just become friends and Madison was farther along in her journey than me. And so it was super helpful to have her. But I remember I wasn't responding well to the medication and I had given her an update and she was like, I'm so sorry. And I that was not the right response. And I had no idea. I was like, why is she sorry? Um, well, I mean, little did I know that our retrieval didn't end up getting canceled. Um, I just didn't even know that that was like something that could happen. So I think it's just that being open and nimble kind of knowing that you're, path could be straightforward-ish, but it probably won't be. Um, I wish somebody had kind of just prepped me yeah. on that. Yeah. And I think originally your doctors don't want to scare you mm -hmm. and we don't want to scare you either um, into saying it could take this amount of tries. It could take this amount of meds. It mm -hmm. could take changing this and so on. But it does, it does help, I think, to know that it's not just we're going to try this and you get pregnant. Right. I mean, it's just, it's, it just doesn't happen. Right. And I think too, it's just, um, 
the, a lot of de- a lot of that has to do with decisions you make, which is our next, our third of the five things we wish we knew is the amount of decisions that you have to make and the amount of decisions that are put on you. Yeah. Um. So this is everything from the paperwork and the you know what you decide to do with your embryos and things like that. Um. But also just some of the medicines that you take, even. So for example, right now, um you know, there's a medicine that we're introducing that I've not taken before. That's, you know, kind of off label, if you will, but our doctor thinks it could help, but there's also not a lot of data around it. And she's comfortable either way in, in what we decide. Um, and that's just really heavy because it's, if you don't, if you don't incorporate that medicine and you don't have good results, you know, then you kind of look back and you're like, we should have done this or, um, you know, if you do do it and it was more expensive or more of a mental burden or harder on you, then you're like, gosh, like we just did all that. And for what? Yeah. And I think that can be said with so many things. It totally. And I've had those experiences in my journey as well, because we had several times where, um, a doctor recommended a certain medication because of what happened previously. And he kind of told us, you know, you don't necessarily have to take this, but, I think we should try it. And mm-hmm. so you're put in the position of, well, do I fully trust my doctor or mm-hmm. do I kind of go on my gut and say, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to take this medication. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard place to be in. Right. Um, and also I do remember another time of where our doctor wanted us to do two retrievals back to back. And that was a hard decision for us because my first retrieval was brutal and it was extremely painful. Mm-hmm. And I did not like any part of the process. And so in my head, I'm thinking, hell no, am I doing another retrieval Mm -hmm. back to back? And of course, my doctor was fine with it. It was ultimately my decision. But you are faced with these big decisions. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like if you make the wrong one, then you might not have a child. Yeah. And I think what you just said is a really important one, too, is even just the timing of everything yeah. is a decision in itself. Yeah. Well, you know, having the self-awareness of like, this is not a good time in our life because we have, you know, it's a really busy season at work or, you know, my husband's going to be traveling a lot or um, or maybe you've already tried a bunch of IUIs or, you know, wherever you're at in your journey and you're like, I just mentally need a break. Um I think that's a decision in itself on top of, you know, what medications you take that, you know, your doctor gives you that freedom on. Um, I think also even the timing of, for example, you know, we waited a little bit in between our um, retrieval and transfer just because I knew that my body needed a minute. And just kind of, you get so wrapped up in it, you just want to move things along. Like we said, things can be really long. Mm -hmm. Um, But having that discernment, I think, is one of the things that's really hard. Um, As well as, you know, back to that paperwork. I mean, I was shocked. I still am shocked when we've had to fill it out, even knowing it was coming, of just all of the the things you have to decide. Like, if you and your husband die, like what you're going to do with these embryos. And it's just, it's really heavy. Um, so heavy. Yeah. I was asking Griffin recently and he was like, wait, what, what you just started a sentence, (laughs) um, with if we both die and I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you do, you have to think through a lot and obviously a lot of them are, um, worst case scenarios, but then your mind's 
going there too when you're already kind of in this dark place. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I will say, um, in one of our cycles, kind of similar to your story, yeah. is, but different. We actually did not want to wait after mm-hmm. a retrieval mm-hmm. because we were so eager to, mm-hmm. as I would say, finish the process, yeah. which lol yeah (laughs) Um, that was the beginning of our process uh but we wanted to hurry up and do a transfer and it ended up not working out because of the holidays Mm, and mm -hmm. um if you don't know yet the clinics do close around christmas they are open every weekend but they do close around christmas and i was devastated because in my head i was thinking well that's two whole months that we're just gonna have to wait and that goes back to the process is long. Mm-hmm. It also goes back to, you know, making decisions mm-hmm. of the timing and everything. Yeah. Um, the so, holidays is a big one. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, that was something that I didn't realize because they are open every weekend. Yeah. And even over, you know, over different holidays, they're open. Yep. Um, and so it's kind of their chance for the one time of year that their staff gets a break. Right. Um, so it makes sense, but just something to keep in mind. Um, and that kind of blends into number four, which is making plans. Yeah. So another part of the process is it's really hard to make plans going through treatment. And when I say treatment, I mean the whole process Mm -hmm. of infertility Mm -hmm. because you, We'll schedule your appointments, but then there are some appointments that you don't know will happen mm-hmm. until two days before. There are yeah. some treatments that come up that you don't know that you need to have and you need to schedule them ASAP. Mm-hmm. And this is all part of the journey that makes it really challenging to make social or mm-hmm. work or any outside plans because mm-hmm. you just can't commit during this season, which makes it really challenging, um, especially if you're not sharing with that many people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. Yeah. I think the making plans thing is true. Like there's twofold. It's truly, you are bound by a lot of dates, um, and the unpredictability of scheduling and things like that, especially in certain parts of the journey, there's more heavy, heavy appointments during certain aspects. But I think it's also, um, like what you're mentally up for socially, you know, I remember and what you just said about who you're sharing with. So I remember I was meant to go on a friend's bachelorette party and it was just so, uh, so hard to know what to do because it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to mess up the house and the payment for everyone. But I'm like, I just don't know where I'm going to be at in three months. And I don't even know if this is like what I'm going to want to be doing and things like that. So it's, it's also tough, but I will say, uh, you know, just some of my friends who have been going through this journey for longer, great advice is, is to just try to live your life as much as possible because you really don't know. I mean, obviously you have to cancel things when they come up. I mean, I can't even tell you how many canceled trips I've had or things like that. Um, and it never really gets easier. No, the canceling of the plans. Um, because you kind of then go back to the grieving that you're even in this situation in the first place. And, you know, people do understand, but then you do feel bad. Yeah. Too. You know, you're like, I know these people love and support me, but they don't get it the way that you, you know, you do. Um, 
So it's like, not only do you not get to do this fun thing, but you also feel the guilt of canceling. And then you also are just reminded of what you're going through. So it's all the things. Yeah. Do you feel like that's been really challenging throughout your journey is like navigating the canceling of events and trips and friends and family? And like, how do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. I think a lot of the, the thick of kind of our original journey, we, it was COVID. So it helped in some ways that there wasn't as many plans. It was harder in a lot of ways because the plans were fewer. So then it felt like there was more pressure to attend those things. Um, and it was just a hard time for everyone, but yeah, I mean, it has been hard to navigate. I think my family has been, been pretty supportive. Um, and I think friends, it's, it's hit or miss, you know, like there's definitely friends who are like, oh my gosh, like, of course. Um, and then there's friends who, you know, couldn't believe that we weren't able to make certain things. And that was really hard. Um, that was really, really hard on us because it's like, we've shared with you Mm -hmm. and been vulnerable and we are just in this all consuming time. Like if we could do this thing, we would love to. Right. Um, well, and I also, I've yeah. always said to people that you can share a lot about your infertility journey yeah. if you feel comfortable, mm-hmm. but there's still certain things that you just probably won't want to share. And yeah. one of those being is your transfer date. Yes. And you might feel comfortable sharing with a few close people, but you know, people don't necessarily announce when they're having sex yeah. to hopefully become pregnant right. with a child. Right. So like it feels awkward for us to mm-hmm. announce our specific transfer date yeah, because it's already just unique mm-hmm. and challenging mm-hmm. and it's different. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody is asking you if you will be able to attend a certain event sure. and you don't necessarily know because of your transfer date, it's, it's hard because yeah. they won't fully understand. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's challenging. And that's actually what, like what I'm referring to. It was, a, yeah, we had a specific like, issue around our transfer and just backing up for those of you who maybe don't even know, like transfer lingo is, you know, if once you've gone through the IVF process, if you have an embryo that's, you know, that you're looking to transfer, that would be how you would get pregnant. Yeah. Um, so same thing goes for like IUIs. I mean, yeah. if you know that there's going to be this window that you like might be getting a shot to ovulate or might be taking medicine to ovulate or what have you, same thing. You kind of have to plan around that. And then you're kind of also making plans around like thinking you might be pregnant. Exactly. You know, so of course, like we're holding on to that hope that that it would work. Well, and same with retrievals. I remember when I was working, I uh, told my boss Mm. two days before that I was not going to be at work. And she was a little confused, yeah. but I, I didn't know until literally two days before mm-hmm. because some appointments you have to wait and they have to check you and measure you yeah. and see how you're progressing. And it's just really challenging. Yeah. The work thing is huge. You just brought up a really good point. And I think that probably deserves its own episode of just navigating, going through this and working. Um, I was really lucky in that my boss, even though he was a male, was like asked zero questions, was super supportive, but it was super awkward to be like, yeah, I'm going to be out 
for like a medical reason, you know, it's just weird. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to plan meetings. Yeah. I remember being like, oh my gosh, like I'm just going to put these blocks on my calendar to because it might be this day and it might be that day and yeah. I might need to take this a whole day off and I don't want people to need me, you right. know? So that's like a whole other element um, that just makes all of the scheduling part so hard. And I will say one good thing, I guess, coming from COVID is mm-hmm. now all the portals yes. that you can communicate with your nurses and doctors, which is fantastic. But originally we did not have all of that Mm-mm. in my clinic Mm-mm. and um, it was phone calls. And so I remember all the time, you mm-hmm. know, you miss a phone call. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, the world is ending because to call back and get somebody on yes. the line, I mean, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And so navigating that with your work life or your just your everyday life, mm-hmm. whatever that means, it's hard because you're mm-hmm. completely glued to your phone waiting on a phone call or yeah. waiting on a test result or mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. And it's just really hard. Yeah. I think even with even with it being more technologically advanced like you're still so distracted yes um and you're still like checking your email or inbox or whatever just to see you know what was my blood work result what are our next steps you know what have you so i think it's just that this whole there's the physical the tactical aspect of making plans and then there's also that emotional weight of being like, oh my gosh, like I'm just waiting to find out one thing to know about next week. Right. You know, there's a lot that happens in the mind about making plans too. So that was number four. And I think number five, um, is just the amount that you have to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a huge one. I've known, um, I would say in our journey specifically, I feel like I've had to advocate the most to all of the pharmacists, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a whole another topic in itself. Mm -hmm. But the medication list you get is outrageous. There's all different time types. There's all different prices. There's Mm -hmm. the generic. There's not the generic. There's this pharmacy Mm -hmm. has it on back order, so it probably won't come in time for treatment. This pharmacy is completely out of stock. Mm -hmm. So you have to call this pharmacy. And it's just like, I've been in so many cycles to where I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. And my nurse is like, we sent over the meds. And I'm like, well, they don't have them. Yeah. (laughs) And so I feel like I have had to be a huge advocate for my medications, Mm -hmm. which feels like another job in itself. Yes, it is. It's you. I think, you know, we're calling this advocate, but it's almost just like, being on your A game. Yeah. Like that's the best way to describe it because it's, there's the advocacy part and then there's also all the homework. I mean, I have spent hours calling different pharmacies, figuring out the prices, calling my insurance, like trying to understand what coverage, if any, that I have. And it's, I mean, you're on hold for forever. They tell you the wrong thing. It's, it sounds like we're really knocking pharmacists here, but it's just complicated. Yeah. So it's really not their fault. It's just, it's so complicated. Yeah. And then timing is everything. Yes. So it's super stressful. It's not like, hey, I need this medicine and I can start whenever. It's like, if you don't have it in hand right. at like X date, you might have to wait a whole nother month. Yep. Because your medication, most of them are timely. Yes. Um, some have to be refrigerated, yes. some don't. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. So it matters. Yeah. It really does matter. Yeah. And I mean, right now it's so hot out. So I've 
I've been waiting on medications and I was like, I can't leave because even though this is on ice, it's a hundred degrees out and I don't want these, you know, they're so costly. I'm like, I don't want to mess with this. Um, Or sometimes you have to sign for them. I was supposed to meet with a friend this week and she needed a sign for her. So she was like, I mean, I don't know. I need to be at my house to sign, sign for these. So, um, the pharmacy and the meds is, is one thing. And then the whole, actually just treatment plan is the other. So like really being an advocate for yourself um, and asking questions. Like I said, I like to ask questions. Um, I think my doctor does a really great job of answering them with data and then also just kind of acknowledging maybe why I brought them up. But um, there's even been things that I have had to bring up and that have changed plans. So For example, my brother had gotten some test results that he had a blood clotting disorder. So I actually had to go to my doctor and ask them to test me for the specific um, disorder, if you will. There's a million different blood clotting panels. So unless you have something in your family's history, it's hard for them to check. um, And that can be linked to loss. Um, So it was really important that I looked into it. Anyways, I ended up having testing positive for that disorder and ended up needing to be put on Lovenox through the remainder of my pregnancy and after. Um, And that's important to know because now even starting the process again, they'll have me on that even earlier than I was last time. Um, So I think part of it is just kind of like knowing your family history and making sure that they're testing for things, whether it be genetic or kind of just random things like that. Yeah. So mine's kind of the opposite, (laughs) Morgan. Um, But I was put on Lovenox um, at one of the beginning of my rounds that I did um, because they – thought that I might have a blood clotting issue. Um, They weren't sure, but they uh, just from a few things that had happened, they thought that we should try it. Uh, So I did a round with Lovenox and that um, ended up in a miscarriage. And so in a later cycle, when we tried uh, again, my doctor said, you know, why don't we try Lovenox just because why not? And the more we kind of talked about it, I was hesitant, but kind of from where I was standing, a part of me was thinking, well, should I try it again? You know, Um, because of course we want to try everything that uh, gets us closer to becoming pregnant. Um, So I really wrestled with it. But honestly, the more thought I put into it, I decided to not take the Lovenox shot because mentally it would have been way harder on me. Um, just the shots were a huge mental, uh, block for me and it was extremely challenging previously. And so I ultimately decided to not do the Lovenox shot. And, um, my doctor was of course fine with it. Uh, he said it was ultimately my decision, but that was kind of like another example Mm -hmm. of, me just kind of going with what I felt was best for me and my body and my mental state. Um, so to say all that, you know, we're saying be your own advocate, but it's really just kind of knowing your body, mm-hmm. knowing what um, 
you feel like you should kind of be on alongside your doctor's, you know, opinion and advice because ultimately they do have probably the best opinion and the best advice towards you. Um, So, yeah. But I think you bring up a really good point that there are a lot of decisions that are put back in your court. Um, So it's, it's knowing, knowing yourself, knowing when you need to take a break, um, knowing what would be best for your mental health. um, And just kind of on the topic of being, being your own advocate, um, you know, our nurses have been wonderful and walked us through everything. Um, But at the end of the day, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of medicines. There's a lot of very specific times and dates and all of that. And it's, um, it really ultimately is on you, the patient, to be double checking everything and making sure that, um, yeah, everything is what you what you already discussed. So just kind of like being on your A game and um, reviewing everything and making sure it all looks right. Yeah, because I felt like at the beginning of our journey, they were honestly holding my hand throughout mm-hmm. every step, which I so appreciated because we obviously did not know what we were doing. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. They walked me, you know, through every procedure, every shot, every timeline. I mean, they were extremely helpful. And at the same time, I felt like we expect me to know what I'm doing. And I do know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do feel like they've given me a little more free reign Mm -hmm. uh, the later I've gotten. And so I do have to make sure, you know, everything's in my protocol or all my meds are correct. And just like you, like Morgan said, you have to be on your A game because Mm -hmm. ultimately it is your responsibility. Yeah. And there's so many things, especially in the very beginning for me that I was like, what about this test? What about that test? And like I said, my doctor would have really great responses. Um, But, you know, I even have a friend who she knows that she has endometriosis and she's like, why would we not do this test or why would we not do this treatment? Right. Um, You know, and her doctor had a good response too, but it's like, they didn't even offer her that. Like she was just on Reddit, right? (laughs) you know, looking at these different things. And so I think, I think that the Facebook groups and the Reddit and all that, it's a double-edged sword. Like it can be good um, in that it, you know, brings you solidarity in, in an otherwise very isolating world. But, you know, sometimes it's most of the time it's information overload, but sometimes it can help you, you know, there's a fine line of being able to find the information and bring it to your doctor. Um, I'm sure that they, you know, don't appreciate us bringing things from Google, but at the same time, like it's your body and this is such a big investment, Mm -hmm. time, money, mental, physical, like all of the above. So... Yeah. So all that to say, those are kind of our five things that we wish we knew. Um, There's obviously a lot more to the process and a lot more um, that goes into going to a fertility clinic your first time. But just to kind of recap that the five things were just how long the process is, that things are very trial and error, um, that there are so many decisions that you have to make both about medicines, mental aspect, so many different things, um, how difficult it is to make plans and then just to be your own advocate. Yeah. Those are the five things. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for tuning in. (laughs) 